Welcome to Authors on the Air, everyone. I'm Pam Stack, your host. I'm also your book junkie and cat wrangler. Today is a very special day. Uh, my dear friend Christopher Zagorski, who is the uh, editor, owner, chief bottle washer for Bolo Books, um, Beyond the Lookout Books, is one of the most highly awarded book reviewer and blogger in the United States and other countries. With us today is Benjamin Stevenson, who has written what Christopher and I are sure will be an award-winning book called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, and we love it. But because my friend Christopher was first talking about this book, I'm going to step away and let Christopher interview Benjamin. Welcome, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. And okay. well, thanks for the kind words. Okay, here we go. Thanks for joining us, Benjamin. Um, I guess we should start out with you giving your elevator pitch for the book, which I'm not even sure how you actually can do because this book is so complex. But let's go ahead and see what you got. Yeah, sure. So basically, uh, Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone is about the Cunningham family who get together at a snow resort for a family reunion. And there's all sorts of um, attitudes at play. A lot of them don't like each other. Drawns have been Lines have been drawn in the sand on family loyalty, and so they're at each other's throats. But when a body turns up in the snow, who has seemingly died in a fire, but yet is found in a field of unmelted snow, um, a serial, they realise a serial killer has started to pick them off one by one. The problem is that everyone in the Cunningham family has already killed someone. So the question is, in a family of killers, which one is the murderer? That pretty much sells it right there. Um, I was interested very early in the book, you take to steal a word a, a term from the theater world you break the fourth wall and you're actually addressing the reader directly or ernie is um and i was wondering how that concept came to you and was that a different thing for you to experience with your other writings yeah so the concept came to me basically all the ideas in this book everything that you think might be a little crazy um came to me because i was writing this book during March 2020, when the entire world shut down. And I just thought, you know, nobody knows what publishing is going to look like. Nobody knows. I, I didn't know if I'd still have, have a writing job, you know. Uh, so basically every idea that came into my head, I said yes to, because I was like, I want to treat this as if I might not do another. And so I just said yes to every crazy idea that came in. And the fourth wall breaking the directness of the narrator to the reader was one of those crazy ideas that I just thought, I thought no one will publish this. Nobody will want it um, because it's, it's, it's more risky. It's more different than what's out there. But I was in my say yes to everything stage. So I, I gave it a crack. Um, but the sort of the real inspiration of it or the real idea was that I wanted to have a mystery novel uh, read along with the reader as a team effort. So the detective in the book and the reader are a team that solve the crime together. And I think that's part of every crime novel that you read. Every good crime novel brings the reader in and makes them a part of it rather than just telling them the clues and the answers. Um, it understands that the reader is a part of the team. And so this book 
I wanted to fully understand that down to the fact that it understands that it's a physical object that's in that your hands as you are reading it. And so, you know, the narrator comments things like, there's too many pages against your left thumb. You know, we can't reveal the killer yet. You know there's more to go um, and stuff like that. So structurally, I'm sort of hopefully adding suspense and stuff, but that's where I wanted to go. I wanted that teamwork between the reader and the author, and the fourth wall allows you to do that directly. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I always, When I was reading... Uh, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew when I was young. That was what I was doing. I was trying to solve it along with them. And then I was talking to my some of my other colleagues who read these mysteries. And some people don't actually try to solve it. They're just reading along to, to enjoy that and then want the conclusion at the end. So it was interesting. But this pretty much forces you to help solve the mystery as you're going along. So that was a very um, unique way to look at it. Um, Ern also has a really strong knowledge of the genre as a whole. I mean, he starts out by giving us Knox's commandments for for um, mystery novels, and he just knows everything about them. Did you have that knowledge yourself, or did you have to do some research to to get yourself up to speed so that you were able to present him in a way that reads completely believable as if he's actually part of the community? Yeah, I mean, I did have to do top-up research. I mean, there's a lot of stuff um, that Ern sort of knows or refers to that that sort of sits sort of sits in that lower part of your brain. You know, it, it's sort of absorbed over the years or, or it's the vibe and the tone of the golden age. Um, and then to drill into the specifics, I had to do a bit of research to, you know, I read a lot of Sherlock Holmes as a kid and then I had to go back and reread some just to make sure that I was actually talking about what I was talking about. But I found Knox's rules once I decided that I wanted to write a fair play mystery. I actually found Knox's rules after I decided to write the book, before I'd started writing it, but while I was researching it. So certainly I didn't have everything immediately. And then I found them and I was like, wow, this, this needs to go in the book. Definitely. And, and, and I mean, you had me in the palm of your hands when we got to the fifth rule, Knox's fifth rule, and you're like, we're redacting this. I'm like, okay, now we're now we're on board because this is a real issue with those rules. So I thought that that was a brilliant way of showing us that while it is a golden age feeling thing, it's also very modern. Yeah, you know, uh, the rules are from the time they're in and, and the context in which they were written. But I just I just didn't think it necessarily had a place in the in the modern translation. And so to reflect that, I thought that was the best move. Yeah. And it just I mean, it made me laugh out loud. And I was like, OK, now we're going to really be laughing as we go, because I was like, that, oh, that's right. how to do it. Um, another no, interesting. Oh, sorry. That page has got me the most criticism, not because of the rules. But because in the top right-hand corner, I asked my typesetter, I was like, can we put a little, because, you know, the rules are referred to during the book and they're in the epigraph. I said, can we put like a little dotted tab and write fold here on the top corner of the page so that people can refer back to it? And they said, yes, and it's in there. And I think it's cool because you can fold the page and turn back to it. And then the amount of emails that I've got that have said, I really love the book, but how dare you encourage people to desecrate the corner <laughs> of a page? page of a novel but that's so something Ern would do and I mean I thought it was brilliant too I mean of course most of us love the book as, a, as an object and would never do something like that but many people do so I mean it just goes along with the the everybody does a different thing and it, I thought it was hilarious oh thanks yeah I was I was I've been surprised by how protective people have been of their of their books but most that's people it. have enjoyed the idea but yeah it was, <laughs> that was funny 
You mentioned the typesetter. I want to mention in the very first chapter, a few pages in, there's a part where Ern actually tells the reader where every murder or death in the book is going to occur, the actual page number, um, which I again found myself referring back to. I'm like, let me see if this is actually the case. But I have to imagine this was a nightmare for the typesetters and uh, across the country because it's not only one typesetter that deals with this as it's being published in various countries. Yeah, I mean, so the idea there, this was one of those yes ideas. And I just thought, you know what, I want to give it all away at the start. I want to tell you exactly when things are going to happen. And it's the old Hitchcock idea that he says that suspense is not having two people talking at a table and then a bomb explodes. It's showing the bomb under the table and then having them talk at the table. And then you wonder when the bombs are going to explode. So I really wanted to sort of um, milk that. But in terms of being a nightmare to my typesetters, it definitely was, but when I handed in the novel, I said to my publisher, look, there's some crazy stuff in here. I know the page numbers are going to uh, feel annoying at first, but I believe they're that important. I will check everything. I don't want a typesetter feeling like they're burdened with getting it right. It's my job to get it right. I wrote the book. So I checked every set of pages. I moved the page numbers every time we edited. There was a very... Um, frustrating bit is one of the one of them is that um three people die on one page but we moved one word and one of the deaths tipped over <laughs> onto the next one and so then I had to think about well do I rewrite this page so that it slides back or do I rewrite the section in which he says three people die on one page um but yeah no it was a really concentrated effort between all the teams and then you know it's it's sold in 25 languages and I can't read German so I <laughs> I I have trusted the typesetters um I have I have put that on their shoulders in the in those markets. But yeah, it was just really fun and I just wanted it to be really different. And again, like to know that the book is an object in your hands, is a book that talks about where you're up to in it and the page numbers. And I, I there's three editions of this book. They're they're all they don't have different endings or anything like like clue, but there's a different <laughs> ebook edition. Um, because the page numbers obviously don't translate to Kindles. And there's an audiobook edition in which Ern talks to you like you're a listener. And he says, there's five minutes left and people will, you know, you've got an hour um, until someone dies and that kind of stuff. So I think I'm probably one of the only books that has three separate editions that actually wow. mention each. Um, Can't yeah, imagine each that. That's actually going to make me go and listen to the audiobook because that will be very interesting and a different experience. Because I did love the page numbers. I mean, I knew, I, I thought it was, first of all, it's interesting because you tell us how many deaths are going to occur. And I'm like, well, that's really interesting. But we already knew a bunch of deaths were going to occur because we know this family is known for killing people. Um, but just actually knowing what page they were coming to, I was like, I mean, there were moments where I like flipped back and I'm like, oh, a murder is coming soon. I might as well read another hour tonight <laughs> before I go to bed so I can get to this other one. So that, I mean, it encourages the reader in a different way that we're not used to. Yeah, well, well, I'm glad it works. And, you know, it's just, he gives away the page numbers, but he also says things like, oh, there's one plot hole and there's no sex scenes and this happens and this doesn't happen. And so it sort of really sets your expectations for what the book is in just that and sets up his his candid his candor and his tone really well. So I really do love that section and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, and he also, in that section, another thing that I thought we'd talk about is the unreliable narrator. He sets out very clearly telling us he's not an unreliable narrator and then tells us the history of the unreliable narrator in the crime field. And as a reviewer and reader of crime fiction for years, I'm like, as soon as somebody tells me they're not 
unreliable. I'm like, okay, now I'm questioning whether or not you're actually being honest or not. Um, and I thought that that was also an interesting way of blending the modern because the golden age really didn't have a whole lot of unreliable narrators in the sense that we think of them as today. So that really brought the golden age and the modern back together in that unique way there too. Yeah, well, I think Knox's one of Knox's rules is specifically written as a dig at Agatha Christie for doing some unreliable narrator um, innovation in the form. But I think you're you're exactly right. You know, modern thrillers, um, particularly psychological ones rather than sort of detective stories, there is a lot of unreliable narrator stuff that's really taken off. And when it's done really, really well, it's it's fantastic. You know, um, I won't besmirch any book, but when it's done badly. It, it is tantamount to sort of lying to the reader. It's the type of book that Annie Wilkes would not particularly like. Correct. Um, is the way that I was thinking about it. And so I was just like, well, well, what if you didn't lie to the reader? What if you actually dedicated a book to not lying to the reader? And that's where Earn comes from, that he's wholly reliable. He's very and, careful with his word choice, but he is not unreliable. And I did quick, like I said, I, I originally, as soon as he said it, I'm like, okay, now I don't believe you. But then he really <laughs> quickly convinced me that, okay, he really is going to tell me the truth here or the truth as he sees it. I mean, the fact is that every person is unreliable because we're only seeing things from our own perspective. But you're right. It becomes a bit of a, a, of a trope and a, and a cheat when you suddenly bring in alcohol and drugs and bump on the head and all these other things that cause people to not remember things that they should normally remember. Yeah, provided that you don't show the reader something that they didn't see, um, I think is 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 totally fair. But I think with Earn, that's why the page numbers are so important because he sets himself up as a reliable narrator and then I've got a very short window in which to prove to you that he is going to be one. And so that's that's where that device sort of reflects that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the humor. The humor, I mean, it's a laugh out loud funny all the way through. I mean, there are just hilarious set pieces that pop up randomly throughout, and he just has a, a, a dry wit about him the whole way through. Um, is being funny something that comes naturally to you? Uh, it's very hard work. I say this as being a comedian for 15 years, um, and I didn't necessarily think the book was as funny as people have found it, which is great. I mean, I, I hoped it was funny. Um I think what was important to me was that once I got Ern's voice and realised sort of what I could do with the voice and how I could add that level of humour to a murder mystery, um, that that I could sort of invest in the comic nature of certain scenes. Um, but what was important to me was that the plotting is not humorous. The plotting is, it's a rigid sort of mystery. So it never dips into sort of farce, like nobody dies by slipping on a banana peel or whatever. But so Ern has this has this quite serious plot around him, and then he's just got this snarky, uh, snarky tone to him, which I think is very Australian as well. I think that's a sort of a gallows humour that most Australians have. So I actually think, despite him sort of wisecracking throughout all of these deaths, I think that's how a lot of people would react to such dramatic situations: is is sort of diving into those into those little um, little asides or, or wisecracks and remarks. Um, but, yeah, it was super fun to just unleash myself in terms of what I could do comedically um, inside 
making a satisfying crime novel, like not defusing the tension too much with too many jokes. So that was careful during the edit. I'm like, I really love this joke, but it's really ruining this moment, which is really important to the actual crime and suspense part. So, yeah, I, I'm so glad you like the humour. Excellent. I've just gotten the two-minute warning from um, Pam here. So I just want to, first, before we end, I want to give you a chance to tell us where people can find you on the, out in the internet world. Yeah, I'm best on Instagram. It's at Stevenson Experience. At Stevenson Experience. And, and I know that you're working on another novel. It has a very similar style title to this one. So I'm assuming it's going to start, follow the same sort of uh, mold as what we've got here. Yes, um, I just typed the words the end on it just before I jumped on this Zoom. So it is it is coming. Um, all the surviving, some of the surviving Cunninghams will return in the next book is, is what I can say. Oh, wow. So actually family is coming back too. I didn't know that. I thought it was just going to be the style, but that's exciting because it'd be nice to revisit with some of these people. Yeah, so, well, Ern's back and a couple of people are sort of uh, around him, but it's a new cast of you know, you've got to have a new cast of reprobates to kill off. Of course. Um, and, <laughs> well, and you killed off a lot of them, so we have no yeah. choice. All right, well, I'm going to recommend everybody get Everybody in My Family Has Killed Someone. It's at your local bookstores now. Go find Indie or wherever you buy your books. What a wonderful conversation between Christopher and Benjamin. It's an honor to have you here. Um, we're so impressed with this. Can you give us a hint of your title for your next book? Oh, I can tell you if you okay. want to know. Uh, sure. So the next one is called Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Very good. We'll be looking forward to that for sure. Christopher and I will be discussing that. I hope we'll see you again, and we wish you all the success. Christopher, thank you for being such a great host today. Thanks I really for inviting enjoyed me. I, I learned a lot from you. I've only been doing this 13 years, but, you know, I've learned a lot from you. Thank you so much, everybody, for being with us. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. We archive everything in SoundCloud under Authors on the Air. Take care. See ya. And thank you, Mom and Dad. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.